The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Podcast of the Jack White History Program, and I'm your co-host Paul Kaminsky, and I'm your co-host James Kaminsky, and we promised you that we would be doing an album analysis and review this season, and I was told by a few that I was a liar, <laughs> and that I am not to be trusted, and that I killed their son, and no, God, I was going to do the Klingon thing. Uh, <laughs> They talked to me as if I were Chancellor Gorkhan. Mm-hmm. I am not a Klingon. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Although he is bald with an eye patch and some spiky that boots and a mustache. General Chang. James. Still a Klingon. <laughs> His chief of staff. Look, I love that every every notable, any person who has gravitas in science fiction has an English accent. Is that insane? Is Gorkhan the one from Five? Yeah, he, yeah. Oh and he's my also God. the TGRI guy from Turtles too. Did you ever introduce yourself? I think I did. I'm co-host James Kaminsky. We'll go back and listen to the tapes. Yeah, I'm co-host Chancellor James Kaminsky. Gorkhan. James is, James is the chancellor of podcasting. Yeah, no, I, I challenged Gorkhan and uh, yeah, Klingon culture is weird. So I'm, I'm now <laughs> chancellor because I, you know, beat him up, I guess, is what they do there. Disrupted him. That's that's a Klingon pun because they use it instead of a gun. They use a this, thing called a disruptor. We're really, this, is this, this a Star Trek a, podcast now? Are we doing that? Good, this is not good. So yeah, anyway, <laughs> we had a lot of interviews this season. We had a lot of special episodes and stuff, and we are really excited to do all those. But you know, James, sometimes it's just nice to have the meat and potatoes. I like meat sometimes and potatoes occasionally. I've been eating holiday meal leftovers for the past 72 hours. I was going to say seven months. So. <laughs> and I feel terrible. <laughs> oh, I've been eating the, uh, the <laughs> hollandaise leftovers for 72 hours. And boy, yeah. and are my um, veins bloated. 
Yeah. So anyway, we're Jack White History Program, and we do album analysis and review episodes on different Jack White albums. And there are only a handful that we've never talked about yet because we've done a lot of them. But the one we're going to talk about today is Dodge and Burn, which is the third album by The Dead Weather, Jack White's band with Allison Mosshart, Dean Fertitta, and Little Jack Lawrence. And we've done an episode on their first album, Whorehound, and we've done an episode on their second album, Sea of Cowards, and we did an extra episode about Whorehound, and we did a tour episode, but we've done a few Dead Weather episodes. But I love Dodge and Burn because it's such a weird record, and it came out at such a weird time in Jack's career. It came out right after Lazaretto. It was his big solo bonanza which had followed another big solo bonanza, the album Blunderbuss. And so it was weird to get a Dead Weather record after that. And even weirder that it's, I think, the only album in Jack's entire canon, studio album proper, that was not supported by a tour. Right. And so the stuff we have on it is recorded stuff, like pre-recorded or, you know, not even music videos, but like they did a press tour of sorts, but it was it's just so unusual. Right. If you were to say what the tour was like of this album, you could point to, I think, two performances that you could have seen live, and both of them were, were televised for talk shows. Yeah, I think Jimmy Kimmel and I think Stephen Colbert were the only two. Uh, Colbert and Anthony Bourdain. Bourdain? Well, I guess... I don't consider that a part of the Dodge and Burn stuff, but I guess it kind of is. It was right around the same time. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. But I like this album a lot. You could say it's the Chancellor Gorkon of the Dead Weather (laughs) discography. And we're joined by our friend Jesse from the Porch Podcast in our third person segment at the end of the episode. And she's going to join us for both, both part one and part two. So we're excited about that. I guess we're going to hop right. I don't really have a bit. I don't have a bit. Hmm. Did we do anything wrong? Did we, did we f*** up, Paul? <laughs> Endlessly. Okay. Um, but I, I don't think we have anything. Wait, hold on. Hey. Making bitness. Hey. Making bitness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, I think I got something kinky to f- share with you. <laughs> All right. I didn't think we had a bit, but here we are. We're going to the kinky corner. I can't help thinking somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than that. It's got to be an answer. You may not like what you find. Just getting the kinks out. All right, all right. Do, do you want to explain why we do this or <laughs> what this is? The Kinky Corner is a portion of the show where we learn more about the kinks. And you may be asking yourself, what does that have to do with a Jack White podcast? And... No, there was no end to that. Oh, okay. You, the question is both rhetorical <laughs> and, uh, and valid. And there's no good reply other than the fact that we just kind of want to learn a little bit more about the kinks. And the kinks seem to crop up on this show a lot. So here we are. Yes. I could, look, I could talk about the Lost World Jurassic Park again. We could. For 12 um, minutes. Hold on. Let me see if there's any kinks related facts to Jurassic <laughs> Park. No, um, I did start to type it in. And I'm like, there's not. And there's not going to be. But... <laughs> Uh, so I have a couple little, I have a couple little weird kinky connections, Paul. All right, let me hear your kinky uh, they're, connections. They're pretty tangential, but that's what we do here on this show is uh, tangents. So these are two kind of spiritual connections to Jack White in a way. 
the kinks consist of the Davies brothers, Ray and Dave Davies. And, um, well, others too, but those, no, those just guys the, are at the heart. Yep. I don't know anything about the kinks, Paul. All I know is that they're <laughs> in it. But I do uh-huh. know that Ray Davies was the seventh son in the family. Really? Yes. All of the first six were girls. Then Ray and Dave were number seven and eight. Wild. Those who don't know Jack White was the, the seventh son in a, uh, not only in the song Ball and a Biscuit, but, uh, in actuality, he was also the seventh son in his family, so he was the youngest of, of seven. So that was pretty cool. That is a wild coincidence. And then also, coincidentally, one might say a little coincidence, the early names of the kinks were the Ravens and the Bow Weevils. You're shitting me. I'm not shitting you, Paul. I feel like we talked about that, but maybe we didn't. They then changed their name to uh, the kinks based on the word kinky. Mm-hmm. which uh, they heard on the television show The Avengers. Not to be confused with the hit Marvel franchise. No, this is the secret agent one that uh, me and Paul were duped by in the early 90s when we went to see The Avengers movie, and it turned out to be Sean Connery and a bunch of <laughs> other folks in leather-clad black. <laughs> oh, that's very, so very good. So there's some kinky facts for you. Damn it, that's good. I thought I had one. <laughs> I was trying to find a kinky fact that connected Jurassic Park and the kinks, and the only thing I found was that Weird Al did that MacArthur Park, Jurassic Park parody, and I was truly, truly hoping that it was on the same album as Yoda, his hilarious parody of the kinks song Lola, but those (laughs) two albums are separated by a decade of time. So that is not really a fact or coincidence or anything, actually. It's a big, fat sack of nothing. Uh, 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 Google Google faster. Google faster. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. You you do you do expect to have to have Jack White content in your Jack White (laughs) podcast. Anyway? Anybody? Is this on? Anybody? <laughs> is this thing on? He says. All right, let's leave. Let's, let's leave. That's how we're going to end this show. <laughs> all right. Now, let's leave. All right, bye. <laughs> so we've left our fugue state. We've, we've we alienated now. everyone. <laughs> yeah. Dodge and burn. So <laughs> let's dive into dodge and burn here. So how the album came about is actually kind of interesting because it's, well, for the purposes of not boring the people at home, it's very interesting. Um, <laughs> Just trust us on this. So you remember when we interviewed Mick Collins, James? And yeah. Mick had talked to us about his plan for the Dirt Bombs to be a singles-only band, and then you would take the brick of singles that they created, and then that would just be the Dirt Bombs. Like, they were supposed to be a conceptual thing. They wanted to be a cube, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. But it, I think that was abandoned because it's insane. It's a, it's a th- not insane. It's a hard thing to pull off because you need a lot of singles to do that. And it's also mm. extremely expensive and time consuming for an art project. And the original idea for the Dirt Bombs was that I was going to make 15 four song seven inches. Okay. And then break the band up. Yeah. But while those records were coming out, to make a bunch of flyers and stuff for shows that never happened, <laughs> and then wait ten years, and then and then wait ten years, and then do a book on the experiences of people who swore they were at those shows. 
Oh my god, that's amazing. Now, did you get to, did you get around to doing any of those? No, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen. Uh, I got sidetracked briefly by the idea of trying to break the Guinness World Record for the most records released in a year. I, I took a seven-inch record, held it vertically, and then I stacked more forty-fives against it till I had a cube. <laughs> That's and that crazy. worked out to 87 inches. Wow. And so then the plan was going to make it, it was going to make 87 inches and that was going to be the plan. That was going to be the complete output of the band. And then as I started on that, Horn Dog Fest was originally a 3-7-inch package. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And I started doing that and then uh, in the Red Records finally realized I was serious about making it all 7 inches and they balked at that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it became the it became the album. Wow. And then that was the beginning of the downward spiral into actually being a band as opposed to an art project. That was the idea. Now, but there are hot singles in my area waiting for me. <laughs> and so that was the idea. Now, obviously we know Jack and Mick were, were friends and talk quite a bit, at least, you know, in those early years. And so I don't know if this was an idea that just sort of stuck in Jack's craw and he thought about it over the years, or if he had the idea independently of Mick. I feel like with Blackwell around, there would be some connective tissue there to the Dirt Bombs. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because this album, Dodge and Burn, that was the idea. They were going to not release a new record, the band The Dead Weather, and they were going to release a bunch of singles and then collect them later. So what you have here is the band of Dead Weather, we, you know, we've talked about it. They kind of came together with happenstance. They formed because Jack had injured himself and wasn't able to sing a high harmony on Steady As She Goes, I think it was. And so Allison Mossart, who was on tour with the Rack and Tours, joined Jack on stage and chemistry started happening and one thing led to another and suddenly the Rack and Tours and Allison all returned to Tennessee and they just put down a few tracks and then that blossomed into a band. So the band really is kind of this free form flowy sort of thing. And a lot of tracks were made for Whorehound. I mean, a lot of tracks were started and never finished and some of them were picked up for Sea of Cowards and then others were discarded. But evidently a lot of the songs that wound up composing Dodge and Burn had been brewing since the days of Whorehound. Dean told Billboard There were some ideas that we had started in previous sessions in 2009 and 2010, but we didn't look at them as potential for a song idea until more recently. But they existed, whether it was just a snippet or a riff or something. When we decided, let's take these couple weeks and see what we can do, we just brainstormed and looked at everything we had done and anything we had done that we felt was cool and run with that for a minute. So what you have is a band who has just taken a break and switch gears a little bit, but they decide that they want to get back together. They want to do another project. And so where do they look? They look at these snippets that they had discarded. This whole project is very reminiscent of another project that I'm familiar with. This must have just been something in the air for musicians. I think a lot of musicians have similar kind of hopes. I'm sorry to tear into another tangent, but this reminds me a lot of Tear Garden by Kaleidoscope. 
which was a Smashing Pumpkins experimental album in which they were going to release, after a six-year hiatus from their last album, they were going to release as many singles as they can to, to come up with a new album. And that new album, eventually, they just kind of gave up on the single thing. Because I think it's just a hard idea. But yes. uh, yeah, they were really into this idea of doing as many singles as they could. And I think they released 34 of them before they gave wow. up. Wow. That's so, a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Well, yeah. So that, I mean, that brings us to the, the discussion here. So this album, we talked about how this album stands out as unique in Jack's canon. Obviously, other people have had ideas about collecting singles and doing things with that and smashing pumpkins i mean they're fairly groundbreaking group as well so it doesn't really surprise me that they would have been pursuing something similarly experimental what year was that kaleidoscope it was 2009 and it was 44 tracks and it was inspired by a tarot card thing he wanted to do a song for different tarot cards each individually released and then compiled at the end. Well, it sounds like he had more stamina than Jack and the Dead Weather did, actually, because... <laughs> not many people say that about Billy Corgan. <laughs> stamina is not the first thing that comes to mind. No, werewolves uh, and... Mildew. So yeah, this album stands out because this is the type of album that was created like they used to do in the 50s and the 60s, or the early 60s, in the pre-Beatle kind of era, where albums weren't one piece they were just a collection of songs they were just a collection of singles you can get a you know a set of your favorites and keep them spinning and stuff but so that's unusual that this album uh, exists in its ideation like that and now i thought that they just kind of crapped out and they, they just didn't really go through with it but that actually doesn't seem to be the case because as early as october of 2013 the band was out there talking about how there would be a new record in 2015. So they actually wound up sticking to their plan fairly closely. The difference being that not all of the singles were released in advance of the album. I think only two of the singles wound up being released prior to the album itself. So the original plan was, we're going to make all these singles, we're going to put them out, and then we'll collect those on a record and put it out in 2015. And they're talking about this in 2013. So that's after Blunderbuss and the Blunderbuss tour, but it's before Lazaretto and the Lazaretto tour. So you have this window of time where they're kind of around and they're doing what they're doing. And Jack's maybe got in one eye looking at Lazaretto, but hasn't really made the commitments yet. So they start recording and they start putting out singles and they do that fairly early on and I'll get into more of that as we go but me just describing you know like oh you know Jack was in between world tours kind of leads to my next point here was that all the members were really busy so it also doesn't surprise me that the album was kind of unorthodox because they just were juggling a lot in their lives at the time experimentation one part practicality each member of the dead weather had a lot going on from the 2011 to 2015 time frame jack in the time since sea of cowards which was 2011 he had started up his solo career he put out 
two albums. He had two world tours, not to mention continuing to grow Third Man Records. Roughly two months after this album, Dodge and Burn, was released, Third Man Records' Cast Corridor location opened up. So Jack was also deep in the planning stages for that. So he's got a lot on his plate right now, which I think was maybe a contributing factor to why they didn't tour the record, not just because like Jack was kind of sick of touring at that time, which I think he's on the record as saying, but there was a lot happening. Allison was busy too. The Kills had released their 2011 album Blood Pressures, which was the band's first top 40 album in both the US and the UK. And the band played Third Man's Blue Room in October of 2012, released as a live at Third Man album. And this was part of a tour that was pretty relentless for the kills. Uh, from the release of Blood Pressures up through Dodge and Burn, the band is almost always on the road with a bit of a break between November 2012 and December 2013. So that explains why they had a minute to get back into the studio to put down some new music. But that band tours a lot. Yeah, it's wild. Allison is very... I mean, Allison and Jamie both. are. Their tour schedule is nuts seeing their entire thing. Like I saw them on the Blood Pressures tour and it was... It's crazy. It's craziness. Yeah. Well, Little Jack also knows Slouch. After Sea of Cowards, touring was wrapped. He rejoined the Greenhorns for their Four Stars album, which was released in uh, November of 2010 on Third Man. He was also on the road with City and Color in the Gap, uh, not to mention playing on nearly every Blue Room series single. So he was busy too. And then Dean Fertitta, Queens of the Stone Age, released their 2013 album, Like Clockwork, which was the band's first full new album with Dean as a member of the group, and also the band's first Billboard Top 200 number one charting album. Dean also joined Jack, as we know, in 2014 and 2015 on the Lazaretto tour after Ike Owens tragically passed away. And it's possible that there was also some overlap with the Iggy Pop album post pop depression which dean and josh hame worked on dean also played with eagles of death metal briefly in 2010 as well as actively developing solo material and actually <laughs> dean was kind of the impetus for a lot of the actual let's get this done kind of energy i think jack was just a, maybe a little burned out and dean kind of took the reins a little and we'll get into that more as we go but i thought that that was interesting so those four people, busy lives. That's only a few short years there. And the stuff I just listed is nuts. Yeah, they were in the prime. They were doing it all. Each one of them was coming out with, with material. It's crazy. And it's material that's not only like there, it's some of their best, like some of the material they're known for, like the kills really, the blood pressure stuff is regarded as one of their best albums. And Dean's step into Queens of the Stone Age is regarded as kind of coming back into the mainstream. You know, it's, it's cool stuff. Yeah, Allison told Indie Rock Magazine, if we would not have any other commitments, we would have easily recorded five Dead Weather albums. to my next subtopic here, which is no pressure, no tour, and no press from Jack. 
So it looks as though the band went into this record knowing they weren't going to tour it, and that was part of the album's overall mission statement. Dean told Spin Magazine, the cool thing about this record for me is we went into it knowing that we weren't going to do a normal promotional cycle for the record, touring it, the normal thing that people do when they release records. It was more of us just wanting to get together and play again because we hadn't done it in four years. It was more about us staying close and continuing to make music. Allison followed up with, we're doing something pretty non-traditional by doing this, but when you think about it, you think, what's better, what's worse? Not touring or just sitting on a record for a couple of years. It feels great to put something out into the world and choosing to look at that in a positive way, even though we all wish we could be on the stage. And it also sounds like Jack was just, as I mentioned, exhausted from the whirlwind of Blunderbuss and Lazaretta, which contributed heavily to the notion that there would be no tour by design, Dean told Billboard. The Kills are working on a record. Queens of the Stone Age are starting up again. City in Color is starting up soon. Jack's just been going forever, so he just needs a minute. We all would love to play. Obviously, it's our favorite thing in the world to play together. Maybe someday, but immediate future, it's not happening. And when pressed further about why Jack wasn't even doing press for this record, Dean continued with, right now, he's concentrating on Third Man opening up a store in Detroit, and there's a lot of things going on in his world. We're just happy that he's able to be here to do this stuff. wild that they they decided this it comes from a place of i guess financial security for them all i'm guessing because touring is where most bands make their money and to hear that a band's not touring an album means like they're just doing this for the they're doing it for fun like it's wild not that they're not making money off of it clearly you know they still make money off of it especially now that third man is the one with the reins on it, you know. Yeah, and they have the vaults and stuff and all, and all that. But still, it's um, it's weird from a financial standpoint. You wouldn't see that from a lot of you know up and coming bands. But I think all of these these folks are like they just like playing together and want to make good music at this point. Yeah, they were in a position to do it, right? Right. Yeah, like you said. And that's the other thing that's unusual about this record. There's very rarely a plan when it comes to Jack stuff. He just kind of does it. So the fact that in 2013 time frame, and, and we'll get into the recording and when all of it happened, because there was a few different spurts here and there. The fact that they went into it knowing we're going to do this, and here's when the collection's going to come out, and here's the reasons why we're doing it this way, blah, 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 blah. That came true, almost to the T, except for the fact that not all the singles came out in advance of the album. That's very unusual for the Jack world that they would make a plan, a long-term, several-year plan, and then stick to it. Yeah, and then, I mean, I know, not for nothing, uh, and I'm sure you will get to it, but they did eventually release the others as singles as well, yeah. but mm-hmm. post-album. Right, right, right. Third Man uh, Records, our label, we have now a, a subscription service, so it's a, sort of like a club where everyone gets involved, and we, we put out songs and live footage and photographs and all kinds of things, poetry, that 
have to do with the artist on third man that uh, people sign up to and, and there's things involved with it like Twitter and, and uh, that get people's attention to come to see a live uh, broadcast of things. We'll do a song maybe, you know, uh, us just playing an acoustic song and we'll put it out to the people in this club called The Vault. And uh, so that's about as my extent as computer knowledge, you know, it's that. So recording of the album. So it was short bursts over a long period of time. Because Dodge and Burn was meant to collect a selection of singles, the album's recording sessions were spread out over the course of two years or so, with intense sessions of about a week and a half done approximately three or four times in that long span. So they would go this really long gap and then get really intense about recording, record, 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 and then not talk to each other. Or not, I mean, not, not, not talk to each yeah. other, but then not think about it for whatever, four months, whatever, five months long time and then get back and sort of do it but that's how this was sort of put together Sessions are usually, with the dead weather, a jam. And then from that jam, a song is either birthed or nurtured along while the group plays. And as we mentioned earlier, they were using nuggets of stuff that they had put down for Whorehound. Allison said of their process and how the songs are decided, she says, well, it's kind of like who gets there first. Who writes the lyrics is the person who's going to sing, generally. Usually, Jack's playing drums, and I'm sitting there with a notebook and a mic. So usually it's me and then he'll have ideas of a song that he wants to do. There's not really any one method. It's just kind of like, who's quicker on the draw? From where I sit, we all walk in the room, everybody gets their instruments, and everybody just starts playing. After 45 minutes or so, a song is written, and it's pretty much recorded. It's just insanely fast, and there's not too much talking about how something is going to go or what we're trying to do. We play it until it's great. I have so many ideas when I'm driving, so I drive a lot. And I have a little notebook somewhere. Writing while driving on the highway is one of the most dangerous things you can do. It's similar to texting and driving, but harder because <laughs> you have to like hold the paper down on the steering wheel and write, and half the time the pen doesn't work. So you're digging like in the back seat for another pen and you're freaking out because you don't want to forget something that you just thought of. I don't remember the first time I wrote in the car. I, I just noticed that when I'm driving, especially on the highway, that I just get ideas. I get loads of ideas. Something about that sort of monotony and speed and that weird level of concentration you have when you're driving leaves a part of your brain open for that kind of stuff. I guess you're sort of amusing yourself because it's pretty boring, you know? So, ideas just tend to come at that time. And instead of telling them to stop coming, just write them down and then you're cool. <laughs> it's good to tape record yourself, but here's the thing about tape recording yourself talking. You never want to listen to it back. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's better to write stuff down because it's not as annoying. It's a lot easier to look at. I'm not telling you that you should do this because I don't want you to get in an accident, but... You know what? It's mostly like lines. I wouldn't say that I craft a song from beginning to end while on the road, but you come up with some cool stuff. And so, the Dead Weather record, since we're all... haven't really been in the same room together too much, 
a lot of times um, the guys will hand me a whole bunch of music and then I'll put it on in the car and I'll go for a ride and then I'll come back and then I'll record something. It's amazing what happens if you just kind of let yourself not think. Just, you know, open your mouth and start singing or playing at the same time with everybody else and you kind of just like feed on that energy and suddenly, before you know it, you have a song and it's like a gift. You don't know where it came from. Which is incredibly exciting. You know, it never, that never gets old. That feeling of just being like, "Holy shit, where'd that come from?" And then Dean Fertitta told Spin, "We kind of viewed it as how they used to record albums, where it was a collection of singles. So we did that for four songs, and we did the other eight over the course of a week and a half. So it was spread out, but the total time we spent on the record was three weeks to a month. So that's the total time." the fifth member of the dead weather, the fifth dead weather would definitely be third man studio. Third man studio is a key ingredient to the sound of this album, as with all dead weather albums. And the fact that they only record in third man studio is kind of quintessential to the band. LJ said of third man studio, the studio is definitely a fifth member of the band. You play off of what you're given. I don't think a lot of people know about bleed and recording. So we all record in one room together. Most studios are separate. There are guitar amps in one room, there's a bass amp in one room, and the drums are in the middle. So if you want to pull down everything and leave the drums in, you can still hear guitar on it. So when we're recording and mixing it, you can't just punch it in. You have to use what's there. This record has a lot of mistakes on it. When you listen to music now, it's perfect because people are making it to be perfect. I just love that idea that they are not afraid of the bleed and they're it's interesting like doing a lot of different kinds of podcasts I've, I've edited a few episodes and I think you have as well where it's all on one track and it really prevents you from going nuts with editing because you can't because if there's crosstalk then there's just crosstalk <laughs> and so people sure. just have to hear it <laughs> which is brave in a way and it also kind of exemplifies what the dead weather is good at which is Let's call it a rustic sound, a sound that's kind of dirty and yeah. frayed. And, looking for uh, rustic gold. Yeah, looking for rustic gold. But the uh, the the sound is, you know, that bleed that you get is it fits with their general musical aesthetic. Yeah, totally. Dean said of recording there that studio for me is always going to represent this band. The first thing we recorded was there. That's kind of how we started. The fact that it's close to all of us, it's kind of a refuge for us to make music and to be together. The fact that Jack's done so many records and sessions since we've started, it's incredible. It's cool to be part of the initiation of what that is becoming and what it has become. LJ followed with, if you go into the office at Third Man, there's a photo on the wall of Allison on the concrete floor before the place was built up. We did kind of break it in. So that's interesting to think about the dead weather being birthed at the same time as the studio, you know? Yeah. Kind of goes against what I was just saying of that dirty aesthetic. They were in a very clean new studio, but I guess they dirtied it up. They, yeah, they took that new beanbag chair and turned it into a, a nice cozy, yeah. 
they gave they gave it a cozy divot. Mm-hmm. Cozy divot. Yeah, we we've talked on this show before about how the dead weather is kind of interesting because at the beginning of the dead weather, the white stripes are not broken up yet. And they really are a, a demarcation moment in Jack's career, I think, where there's that first photo of all the third man employees together in Nashville and Jack's there in his full dead weather getup, but Meg's there. And we know through doing the Lost White Stripes album episode, which is performing very well, by the way, thank you everybody for listening to that one, that during Dead Weather sessions was Jack and Meg were actively talking, if not putting down music in some capacity. We don't have proof that they put something down, but I have a strong psychic belief that the White Stripes recorded material (laughs) and it'll be released one day. On Valentine's Day of all days. (laughs) So August 2013 was the first recording session I could find evidence for. I think it's safe to assume that that was when the the burst of activity started. So we know that the initial inception of this, of what would become Dodge and Burn, took place at this time in August. Likely on August 28th, 2013, although I couldn't find precise documentation for that. I think it's August 28th, although it, it could have been a few days just in that window. Third Man released an image from the session on Twitter saying the dead weather are working on new songs in the studio yesterday and searching for bodies. So there is an image you can find of the band. And I think that's why I pinned it on August 28th because that's when that photo was posted. I think it's uh, on Instagram and or Twitter. And yeah, so you can see them in there working on it, which I think I recall at that time. And I also recall it being feeling like, oh, we're just going to get another Dead Weather record next. And then mm-hmm. that was not the case. We got Lazaretto after that. So, Or they have created their own sort of Mystery Inc. Scooby-Doo style and we're searching for actual bodies and, yeah. and, and, and being a Law & Order SVU or something along those lines. Could have been that. I mean, there's, there's look, we know Teen Fertitta is mm-hmm. out there in the world solving right. crimes. He's out there. <laughs> Traveling through time, I think. <laughs> In Vault Package 18, the first single from the project dropped, and that was Open Up, That's Enough, backed with Rough Detective. So Vault Package 18 was when the first one of these things came out. telling me rough detective came out in this time was, when they're searching for yeah they, they, was at mm. the first session so okay so mystery <laughs> inc confirmed and then the next documented session i could find was a year later or just shy of a year later in late spring early summer of 2014 around the time of the release of lazaretto but before the lazaretto world tour so in june of 2014 jack told nashville scene The Kills are touring right now. Queens of the Stone Age are touring. Queens did a big album and they're touring. So we're doing what we can. We just recorded a couple more Dead Weather songs and we're going to put that out on Third Man Records Vault Collection soon. That's what we told everyone we were going to do. We were just going to keep releasing singles in the vault. So that makes sense to do that again. And we'll put a collection out of that next year maybe. 
So that's what we're hoping for, hoping that there's time for all that. So again, they are sticking to this ding-dang plan. It's unusual. They all are talking in 2013. They're all talking about 2015. When do you get that in the Jack White world? You just don't. Yeah, because it's usually more ad hoc, just like this is when inspiration hit us and this is why we did it. And so having a grand plan is, is kind of out of the ordinary. But I'm wondering, is the vault what really screwed them over? And I mean that in like, because they were releasing them every three months. Oh, maybe. Was... Yeah. Was that not enough time for them to get all of the singles out? I didn't think about that. That uh, is a very good point. That may have been a contributing factor. I'm curious. Because they, they decided to go with it as a vault exclusive instead of just making them available to everybody. So I'm wondering, is there... I think there were that, digital but, versions, I think. Because around the time of Lazaretto, I remember hearing digital versions of these songs. But I could be wrong about that. I don't remember if they were released digitally. Perhaps. I'm not positive. I do. Well, yeah. Okay. Maybe you're right. But they definitely, I think they did release digital versions, but the only way to get a physical version was. Yeah. 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 What I find the most remarkable about that quote from Jack is that about this time, Lazaretto was 100% the priority of his time, but he still is working on new music apart from Lazaretto. The guy is just, always seems to be bursting at the seams with new projects because think about it like he's releasing his a big solo album of his and planning a world tour and he's in the studio with his other band putting down new songs in that time wild imagine going like that's that's a whiplash going from one mindset to the other maybe it's why i find so much sonic similarity between those two records but um jack allison and dean also got together on stage during one of jack's lazaretto tours to perform cut like a buffalo in august of 2014 now i don't know if there was additional sessions later in that summer but i do know that the end of 2014 saw dean fertita kind of take the initiative to get the thing done because like what you're saying with the vault releases maybe it was going a little slowly maybe it was seeming like the thing wasn't going to come out and then it sounds like those sessions were left fairly up in the air as to when it would actually be released but oddly enough dean fertita was the one that maybe pushed to get the group to finally put the album together and to put it out he told spin magazine we've always done this annual vacation together at the end of every year we always talk about getting back together. So I think on the last vacation, we just sort of said, we're all going to be home when we get back. Let's just do it. I believe he's talking about the end of 2014 there because that, that would make the most sense because the album came out in 2015 toward the end of that year. So I just love it. I love that Dean was the, the, the instigator there and was the one to say like, we're talking about this. Let's just do it. I love that they have family vacations. Where do you think they vacation to? <laughs> Are they all on the beach in, in full black getup? I, I would love that. I would love. There's black sand beaches, you know. That's very. That's yeah. true. Allison's slinking up to a, a boulder in the middle of the ocean and siren songing some some ship's captains. And... I am desert sun, the ever endless sea, not a drop of blue wine. It's where it shouldn't be. I'm a wheel going round. In a mirror house, a maze with no way out. What you have fears about holding on, 
final recording session i believe was in the summer of 2015 so now we're talking a full year after so they're really doing these once a year (laughs) in june of 2015 the band had a big burst of activity which i think was the final push to get over the hump allison says four months ago we had this moment where we returned to the studio and without thinking the album was ready it was like the first time we played together when this happens you can create a lot of music for example we recorded five songs in a day and a half and that's her talking about the june 2015 session dean is credited with sequencing the record which supports the idea that he was the one grabbing the reins a little bit at that time and i thought that was one of the more interesting tidbits i learned on this because you you'd think jack would have a heavy hand in the process but dean fertita sequenced this album dodgenberg when asked to describe their recording process allison said the dead weathers approach is based on getting caught up in your instincts and be opened up to the natural and human aspects of music. Opened up. That's and that leads us, James, on that note, to the release of the album. The album was announced on July 6th, formally, 2015, along with the Vault Edition announcement. And it was released that September, on September 25th, 2015. Now, I have a very vivid memory of its release. It was only a few months after I had moved to California, and it felt very strange to be in a Jack album cycle away from you and Mike at the time. <laughs> and honestly, the feeling I got from not being able to talk about this album with you two was a big part of the inspiration for wanting to do this podcast. <laughs> it's true. Um, but you got me the vault for this record. You signed me up for the vault. It was the first vault I ever got. It was for this album. There's a really cool version of the cover where their heads are Ghost Rider-esque with glitter and energy like a match top yeah and when you open the gatefolds you hear a scream which oh is, yeah that's right it's perfect I forgot about that yeah. yes it's like one of those birthday cards that when you open it up it plays like some dumb birthday song or the empire strikes back theme or whatever imperial march but uh yeah you know instead it's it's someone screaming i love that which jack I, loves my son is obsessed with uh, when i pull this record out he opens it up and <laughs> Uh, this was recorded at uh, third man studio in nashville as i mentioned it was produced by jack white dean said of jack's production as a drummer he gets to have a different vantage point for what he does for me that's really comforting because i could probably play things all day and it's good that he can see if things are working from the inside out i think that makes for a much easier and quicker recording process he's decisive that's the idea let's go off to the races which is reinforced by our talk with Karen Elson earlier in the season. Yeah. I personally find this to be some of Jack's best production and his best mixing. It's clean, but it still captures the feel of the band. It's a telltale bridge between Lazaretto and Boarding House region in that sense. Fun fact about the differences in the sound from the single versions to the album versions, I always thought they were two different recordings. It's the same music. Just different mixes? just remixed and remastered to sound cohesive with the other material on the album. I thought they went in and re-recorded it, but I guess not. When you Right. I always thought that. Because when you hear those songs, they sound very different. Mm-hmm. And no, it's the same music. It's just he went in and made it all smooth. And he made it all feel like a piece. I think Buzzkiller is one that sticks out in my head as being a lot dirtier in the single version dirtier in the like kind of you know it, there's a lot more ambient noise and pops and clicks and whatever and what have you but um right right but yeah they cleaned it up 
quite a bit then for the album. Absolutely. It was shocking to me. I mean, that and the idea of Dean Fertitta being like the guy for this one, where those were some of the my favorite facts in researching this album that I learned. The album was mixed by Jack and Joshua V. Smith with assists by Dusty Fairchild at Third Man Studio. Dusty Fairchild stays in the mix long after this record too with technical credits on some Blue Series singles, the Dwight Yoakam one and My Bubba, as well as the Live at the Mayan Dead Weather Vault and even Help Us Stranger, so Dusty Fairchild in the mix. There's an edits credit as well to a dude named Lars Fox, and I don't know what edits are. I reached out to friend of the show, our good friend Ryan Brady, and asked him when I was doing this research, hey, what do you think this means, (laughs) edits? And he was like, I don't know. <laughs> and he worked in the music business. So I don't. That's a pretty, uh, hmm. hmm. I looked up this dude, Lars Fox. I couldn't find a, a lick of information on that. Maybe that's something we add to the pile to ask uh, Blackwell. All right, yeah, let's do it. It was released on uh, Third Man, of course, and pressed at United Record Pressing. This is, predates the... Um, third man pressing it's one of the last ones to be pressed there i think it was uh because boarding house reach was pressed at third man right mm-hmm. so i'm pretty sure yeah. this is the last jack white band album i guess yeah pressed at uh, united which some people Crazy. rejoice but i know that there are some fans of third man's production of the albums over united's but hey united kept it going so i'm uh, no hate on them yeah, not at all. And and hopefully the surge in popularity of vinyl around this time helped offset some of the loss of Jack's albums no longer being pressed there because I assume that vinyl production picked up enough where I hope they didn't feel it. But anyway, publishing is Third String Tunes. That's Jack's Sleeping Disorder Music, which is Dean, Domino Publishing, which is Allison, and Evil Jojo, which is LJ. And it was mastered by Bob Ludwig at Gateway Mastering. We've heard bob ludwig's name before on the show he does a lot of that mastering this is the best job in the world i would never complain about this job even though it's pretty long hours but uh but it's great i mean every day it's like having a very complex puzzle to figure out you know people always talk about tape versus digital being better but um you know i can make a digital recording of your tape that you wouldn't be able to tell which was which but you can never make a you know was the other way around. Yes. A, yep. a tape of something digital and not know which was which, you know? Yep. There you go. And uh, the, the last thing I'll get to before we kick it to our third person is art, title, and design. 
The title came from James, of all people, David Swanson. Hey! Whirlwind Heat's own and photographer extraordinaire, David Swanson. And the guy who introduced Jack and Karen. Apparently. When we talked to Karen, yeah. Imagine... Imagine if <laughs> Karen went with Marilyn Manson. Uh, uh. So David Swanson mentioned the term dodge and burn to the band and they just liked it and wound up using it for the title. That's that's it. very funny. It was just like... It's a photography. I, I mean, I know the photography like thing. I did physical dodges and burns in, uh, in a dark room. I had no idea that there wasn't anything more to it than that I assumed there was some second level stuff. Usually nope. there is a triple entendre but i guess that's not. it okay <laughs> just liked it yeah allison tells the story it's something you do in a dark room when you're printing a picture and you dodge parts that you don't want to have so much light on and then you burn parts that you would like more light on so you're like moving a piece of paper around and bring out different parts of the photograph they have those tools in photoshop too i think swanson said it out loud and the greatest thing was nobody knew what that was it was kind of a lost term, and it's really cool sounding. It could mean a hundred things. It's pretty tough sounding. I drive a Dodge. This has next to nothing to do with much, but uh, when I was dodging photographs in a dark room, it can either be, you know, you, you put a, a piece of paper over the projector, or my biggest thing that I enjoyed doing was flapping your hand very quickly um, <laughs> under it. So you couldn't see your hand in the physical photograph, but you would be taking away a small amount of light to it. But it always looked ridiculous because you're just over there just swiping very quickly <laughs> over the photograph in a certain spot. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know you did that. That's awesome. Oh, I love the dark room. That's where uh, I asked Ariel out on our first date in the dark room. I said, uh, do you want to go out for coffee? We were in the dark room. It was weird. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. You got a place you can go. Lights and love. <laughs> Let me show you to my dark room. <laughs> <laughs> Design and layout is credited to both the band and to friend of the show, Rob Jones. And the band photography was by David Swanson. And edits by Lars Fox again? I don't know. What's Lars Fox up to? What's Lars's deal? Let's get Lars on the show. If anyone knows what that's in reference to, or Lars, if you're out there, find us. <laughs> find us? Hunt us down. <laughs> There's runout matrix etchings on both sides of this record. On side A, the runout matrix says that we redhead geo and then on side <laughs> b it says weed heat hat red geo so i believe those are all i'm gonna guess anagrams or whatever those are mm, yeah for dodge and burn uh maybe dead weather dead weather dodge and burn dead weather dodge burn something i mean dead Weather is definitely in there. Dead weather dodge and dead weather burn. So uh, that we redhead is dead weather as an anagram, and weed heat hat red is also dead weather. So they're both just dead weather. They're both just dead so weather. geo geo nrp is um, I think something to do with the pressing. Gotcha, gotcha. Weed heat hat red. It sounds like some something to wake up a Manchurian candidate. <laughs> well, let's wake up our Manchurian candidate. <laughs> Jesse for the Porch Podcast is going to join us now. And we'll, we'll do the track listing next time. That'll be part two. And uh, yeah, well, let's kick it to Jesse. What do you say, James? I would love to, Paul. I'd love nothing more. 
Uh, we'd like to welcome back to the program Jesse from the Porch Podcast. Jesse, hello, hello. Hi, thanks yeah, for having me. Yeah, it's great me. to have you back on. Long time no see. It's been yeah. a while. I know. How are you guys hanging in there in this torturous year that we're having? You know, this podcast has been a welcome refuge from the sludge and the hot Celsius outside of my apartment. Yes. <laughs> uh, that it's been actually wonderful to be back, and James and I have been really hitting the mat hard on prepping this season. I know you just wrapped your second season, right, on the Porch Podcast? Yes, we did. Yes, we just finished second our second season. Um, We're taking like a six-week break, and then we'll be back, I think, like the third week of October. If you hear my dog growling, she wants to play. (laughs) So, because, you know... Any time is inconvenient. The six-week break, that's how you do it. That's we. Me and Paul did not do that at first, and boy, boy, should we have. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, the first year that we did it, we did it because I was going on vacation with my husband the first week of September into the second week, and then she was going on vacation with her boyfriend the third week of September into the last week. So we would have literally missed, like, two of the four weeks, and we're like, let's just take it off. Well, we found it to be so refreshing yeah. because when we came back it was like okay we we actually had a break and now we're like ready to start this again yeah so um we we're just gonna do september but i'm moving into a new house well, so congratulations. I need a little bit extra time That's yeah wonderful. thanks so but yeah i would encourage it if podcasts are podcast makers everywhere <laughs> do a season break it does help yeah we the first year we did 52 weekly episodes in a row with no breaks and that just about killed us. We limped over the finish line and then we took a, like a little mini break. And then this current season break was our longest yet, but it was actually helpful because it allowed us time to prep interviews and to not do recording sessions at, you know, 1.30 a.m. James's time anymore. And it's actually been quite nice. And uh, fortunately, our listeners have been uh, wonderful and, and joined us back. Uh, you know, this is going to be this Dodge and Burn two-parter we're doing here will be the first album analysis and review we do for the season. We've had lots of great interviews, but I do want to mention before we get into talking about what we're going to talk about today, the episode you were on, the mm-hmm. uh, Pearl Jam and Jack White episode is our highest downloaded episode ever. Yeah. For real? It really is. Ever. Wow. By like a lot. By a land, yeah, <laughs> landslide. of. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why. I mean, Obviously, because Pearl Jam's amazing, but like, you know, <laughs> that's still surprising because you guys have covered some really good and had some really good guests on. So that's surprising. One of the guests even mentioned you. He emails us occasionally back and forth and Jenkins from Warstick. He was just like, oh, yeah, when you had the, the people from the Pearl Jam podcast on. And we're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's not the Olivia episode. It's not Brandon Benson. It's not Black. None of those. It's you, Jesse. You are the star. Oh, well. Thank so, you. Thank you. so really, you have some big shoes to fill. If this episode really tanks, yeah. we're blaming you. <laughs> my, my own shoes, yeah. Sorry, in advance. So we're talking today about, we're going to talk a little bit about the dead weather. We're going to keep conversation a little informal, but yeah, so we're talking about Dodge and Burn, but you know, dead weather have been largely dormant for these last five years and Dodge and Burn was the last thing out before the Jack drought and it's an interesting project because I feel like it's not a project for every Jack fan. I feel like mm-hmm. it can be divisive, divisive, divisive. And I just kind of wanted to get your impression. You came in around Blunderbuss, right? That was the sort of yes. time frame. Mm-hmm. So you had come in at post the first two Dead Weather albums. What was your first introduction to the Dead Weather? And what was your 
feeling about it? Like, were you, how, like, were you shocked? Were you like, what is this? Um, or like, how did that? Well, pretty much when I decided that I was going to explore Jack White, I was like, okay, let me buy everything he's ever done. So I did my research and was like, okay, the stripes, uh, the Rocketeers, the dead weather and his solo stuff. I'm here for right. all of it. So I kind of just like, when I got into Jack White, I dove into all of it at the same time because I just wanted to know him better. I wasn't shocked by it. I mean, you're talking to a girl that's pretty into grunge that's right. music, so <laughs> the dead weather is not too far off of that spectrum. Sure. I will say that I, when I first listened to them, I expected him to have more vocal influence, and he definitely doesn't. Not that that's a bad thing in hindsight now, but when I was a new fan, I was like, I need more Jack. I need more Jack. <laughs> but I've learned to appreciate Allison and I've learned to appreciate his role in the dead weather. Now I will say it's interesting that you say that it's divisive. They're my, probably my least favorite project of what he does. Um, doesn't mean that I don't love them because I do, but I would much rather listen to like the Rocketeers than the dead weather any day. And I think that's because I prefer to hear Jack singing more. But I still really love them, and, and they're amazing. I, I will say I have a harder time connecting to the Dead Weather. There are some songs that I love, and there are some songs that I'm just like, I don't know how I feel about this song. <laughs> That's so. fair. I have very similar feel. In fact, you and I seem to share a very similar kind of introduction to them, because like I, I was big into grunge going in uh, and hearing that style of music wasn't as abrasive to me as it was to somebody who would, you know, come in right. from say, you know, blunderbuss as like, or like, I don't know, a Foo Fighters fan versus a yeah. <laughs> Nirvana fan. I don't know. It's, it's that kind of vibe. Uh, so yes. I, I was like, okay, this sounds, I like the sound. It's, it's good. I wanted to hear more Jack. I was surprised that it, you know, he was a Jack white band and he wasn't front and center. Mm hmm. And I think a lot of fans were taken aback by that and resentful of that because they were like, I want another Jack White album. This is, you know, a, essentially a Kills album with backing <laughs> band. It was weird, but I, I grew to really respect the fact that Jack took a backseat role and did drumming in which he, you know, oh, he loves drumming and started as a drummer. So it was really mm -hmm. cool to see him doing something he was passionate about that wasn't guitar work. Yeah. And I can't wait to see his next band where he's a, an upholsterer in the background. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Building a chair yeah, or whatever. For sewing very carefully. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> so in that regard, I, was, I, I came into it from a very similar perspective. And also, there are some songs where I'm just like, is this song necessary on here? I feel like it's... Did you need... Yeah. Or it feels like the same song as the one I just heard or something along those lines. Because a lot of Dead yeah. Weather songs can have a very similar tone and tempo. I know we were talking to Dex Romweber about this where he mentioned his sister Sarah. You know, she had a rule of changing the tempo of a song or the, the rhythm of a song so that people wouldn't get bored listening to it. And I feel like a Dead Weather album can occasionally veer into that. James, you had posed to me in our pop quiz episode last season, the task was, was on me to name yes. every track on any dead weather album. <laughs> it, can't do it, it was so hard to do. You got close. They, you got close. They, I got pretty close on sea of cowards, but they do all tend to bleed together. And that, I think that's the result of a few different things. I mean, in doing the research for dodge and burn, one of the things I learned is that really what happens is that band walks into the studio when they're going to record 
they walk into the studio, they sit behind their instruments and they just play. And whatever comes out usually turns into one of the songs or maybe Allison had a germ of an idea beforehand or Jack. Is it so easy to write songs? And that one was really fast. I don't really remember writing it. It was just, yeah, Dean had a guitar riff and I had a bunch of lyrics in my head and a bunch in a book and then they fit together really well. But that's why there is like a baseline dead weather song that is underneath every dead weather song. It's not like, and you can get that a little with Jack's stuff in the different bands. You know, Jack has a way about him where the songs, they're very distinctly, there's like a fingerprint that you can tell pretty clearly that it's him. But the dead weather is 100% that. And just to, to speak to where you two are coming from, so I feel like think the exact same way you two do about the dead weather. Like I, I like them a lot. I wouldn't say they're my least favorite Jack thing, but I think the difference between my approach and you two is that the dead weather's like the hardest kind of thing I listen to. I skew much harder toward more like pop and sunshine pop and jangly guitars and that kind of thing. So I don't really... Paul's a branded man. I don't get any darker get than that. the dead weather. Like seeing the dead weather live, I was thinking to myself, this is the most hardcore concert I'm ever going to go to, <laughs> which is, by, by the way, not really <laughs> hardcore at all. It's really not. It's quite, quite no, tame. no. But I, I appreciate it for its accessibility. And I think that's, there's a hallmark of that in a lot of Jack's stuff where he, I forget who said it, but there, we had a guest on one time that said that when, he, when Jack is on stage, he can communicate to everybody and they all feel like he's talking to you personally. And I think that there's a holdover there with the sound that he makes too, because even though I don't really listen to harder-edged music all that much, I got the dead weather. I understand it, you know, and I, I like it. The goth pastiche is a turnoff for some Jack White fans, I know. See, I find it funny and cute, which I think is like the goal. Well, I just feel like it's such a, each of his projects from the stripes to his solo stuff and in between is a facet of his personality and what he enjoys. And I was thinking about this when I was listening to Dodge and Burn this week that like, I've never heard a band more Willy Wonka-esque than the Dead Weather. Like their lyrics are weird. Their instrumentation is weird. Some of the things that they do to like promote the albums are weird. But that is who Jack is. And he's always kind of aired on the harder side with certain things. Like he's always had kind of a dark mysticness about him. And I feel like the Dead Weather is just that strain of who he is. Whereas you listen to the rock and tours and it's all about Southern rock oriented. And so there's a lot of Americana influence and just old fashioned rock and roll influence. And he's so multifaceted that it, even if you don't care for the dead weather, if you're a Jack White fan, you can't help but appreciate the fact that he's found an outlet for that portion of who he is. It's an exploration of that kind of part of his personality. Yeah, I can see that 100%, especially in, in Sea of Cowards and Dodge and Burn more so than Warhound with the weird masks and the play acting mm-hmm. and, and stuff. It, it really kind of fits a certain yeah, bit it, of his thing. <laughs> yeah, you can divide yeah. his sound up or his, not just his sound, his whole like aura into like a few different key influences. And I feel like the dead weather is his beef heart place. Like yes. that's where he goes to be beef heart for a while. Whereas the white stripes was where he went to be Dex Romweber or blind Willie McTell mm-hmm. for a minute. Whereas the rack and tours is his place to go be a kink for a minute. You know, so there's, yeah, it's pretty neatly divided, but I, while I struggle with beef heart, admittedly, I do appreciate his, the theatrics. And I think 
I like that weirdness about him. And it, yeah, it, like you said, James, it is a big turnoff for some people, but I just find it all to be kind of a wink and a nod. Same with the Black Bells. I think that was meant in a similar way. It's just, it's just poking fun at it. It's so over the top that it feels like purposeful as opposed to, I know, Paul, you're not a big fan of Would You Fight For My Love and the chorus on, uh, what's that Boarding House Reach song, uh, Over and Over and Over, because it feels over the top without knowing it's over the top in a spinal tapian kind of way sometimes. Yes. That's hilarious because those are two of my favorite songs by him. <laughs> I like them a lot. You could yell at Paul all you want. But um, <laughs> once again, I'm the odd man out on this stuff. Whereas yeah. the dead weather is like, yeah, we're going to dye everything black and you know <laughs> eat spider webs and you know it's like we we do this and we know we're doing it and you yeah. could either be a part of it or not whatever that's your deal so I, I think the dead weather kind of fit in a way that can live in both worlds mm-hmm. now jesse were you following the kills much no i had no idea who allison Mosshart was until i listened to the dead weather mm-hmm. and i i like some of the kills music now This may make me sound like a horrible person, but I don't veer towards female vocals very much. They just aren't something that I'm typically attracted to. So I can only take it in doses, no matter who's singing, what band, what artist. If it's a girl, I just can only take it in doses. So for me, The Dead Weather, it is kind of a nice balance because Jack does sing some on it. So I'm not getting just like one long strain. Uh, and I love Allison. She's got an amazing voice. She's an incredible front woman watching her live. The videos I've seen, she's amazing. total powerhouse but it's just my personal preference so i didn't know who the kills were before the dead weather and i still am not overly familiar with the kills because like i said as much as i like the dead weather they're not the band that i gravitate to when i'm coming to jack white to listen to his his repertoire of music very often so how about queens of the stone age do you follow them at all i do like queens of the stone age i i didn't really the way I was raised, I didn't really get into like mainstream music until I was like late high school, early college. So a lot of it I played catch up with. Right. Queens of the Stone Age. I'm not like a diehard fan or anything, but I have listened to several of their records and I do really enjoy their music. I would say I like Queens of the Stone Age significantly more than I like the Dead Weather. Yeah. Um, I think we find that a lot, actually, that there's usually more of a an overlap with Queens of the Stone Age fans and the Dead Weather because mm-hmm. of Dean, obviously, but also because... yeah. There is a similarity. There's a spiritual kinship there. I had found the kills before the dead weather started, but not long before the dead weather started, around 2007, eight. I found this. Just Sour Cherry. Yeah, I just found Sour Cherry. <laughs> and I like that song a lot, actually. I put it on mixes and made James listen to it in the car, I'm sure, against his will. And No, uh, no. I, <laughs> I, he may have had me in the trunk. Yeah. And my arm's bound, but, you know, wow. I, I like the music. No. Yes, yeah, we do things very <laughs> specifically in New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> when you're here, your family, and also in the trunk, tied up. <laughs> but no, so I found that song. And then when the next year, when the Dead Weather came out, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I felt like I was so 
musically. You're like, I know this. I know yeah, this. I like, it's a yeah. Unix system. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've heard of them before, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, so I, but then I wound up going back and digging into their stuff afterwards. And I would suggest, the, you know, and this is unsolicited, but if you are looking for a Kills album that it feels kind of like Dead Weather or feels a little bit more in the space that, Queens of Stone Age's kind of thing. I would suggest Ash and Ice, the one they put out in yeah. 2016. I just think it's their best album and it's done, it's the most sounding like what we like. That's actually the one I've listened to the most okay. is that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I have several of those songs like on different playlists and stuff sure. like that. Yeah. It probably so. has something to do with the fact that it came out the year after this one. It was probably Allison's Dead Weather Mind bleeding into the practice with Jamie Hintz and whatever, but Ash and Ice is a good one. Blood Pressures is a, is another favorite of mine. I like that one a lot. Um, also post Dead Weather, so yeah, those are the, those are the ones that Allison kind of took some of that Dead Weather well, energy. I, in. There's an emptiness that I feel in the earlier albums because it's a, a two piece and because it feels like it's not as full of a sound. Like the White Stripes, even though it was a two piece, had a full sound thanks to production and thanks to things they did a recording of it. And just Jack's sheer power on there. But uh, Allison was less of a powerhouse, to use your word, in the early days, it seemed. She seemed a little bit more timid. I had the pleasure of seeing the kills on two performances of the Ash and Ice tour, and she was explosive. She was Robert she Plant. She seems like she there. would be, yeah. It was more so than the Dead Weather, because there's points in the Dead Weather life where she would sort of skulk off and smoke a cigarette on an amp or something. And I, it, I got some Meg energy from her in that space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with Jamie up there, she just, she owns it. She's amazing. A very, actually kind of a masculine singer now that I think about it. You know, we were talking about female singers. and Yeah, I don't she per- is. Yeah, she has a lot of that big, I don't know if it's just the Robert Plant thing or not, but maybe. So I was thinking about doing a round robin here, just each of our favorite Dead Weather songs. If you had to pick one. In general or from Dodge and Burn? I'm saying go any of them. Okay. Or do you want to do both? All right. Well, we'll do both because we're going we're gonna to touch on some of the favorite stuff next time as well. But we could do both. We'll do in general and we'll do a Dodge and Burn. So like how many songs are we listing off? Just like one, two, I mean, top three. You know, surprise us. Okay. Okay. All right. Who's going first? You go first. Oh wait, wait. Is that not fair? Is that no? I can go first. Okay. Well, I'll I'll say I'm kind of just pulling these off the top of my head. Uh, The first one that I got obsessed with when I was first getting into all of his music was "Treat Me Like Your Mother." I love that song. I 
I also really love $3 Hat, which is from Dodge and Burn. And then on Sea of Cowards, I really, really love I'm Mad. I think it's fun. Those are great. Those are good yeah. selections. Good picks. Yeah, thanks. James? Thanks. Okay, this is, this is tough. My favorite, favorite, favorite of theirs, and I never thought it would be, is Impossible Winner. Mm-hmm. I love that song. It is so good. Um, I really, 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 really like that one. Uh, and I think because it's so different, I think it's because it, it veers so far into another genre that it, it just feels fresh and it feels new and it feels fun. Uh, I like Die by the Drop is is fantastic as well. Gasoline is great. 60 Feet Tall is also a, a powerful one. I really, really enjoy There's a lot of songs where Allison really digs in and, and just shouts at the top of her lungs, and those usually get me in the right you know headspace. I really like that kind of that kind of tune. You and I, James, we have a lot of overlap. My favorite song of Allison's ever, and my favorite Dead Weather song is "Impossible Winter." When I heard that for the first time, I was just like, "What is this on this album?" It sounded like a pop song, and mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that. It sounds like it should be on Ash and Ice. <laughs> I guess I don't know. It sounded more like I don't know, it sounded like Adele to me or something. It just it didn't sound. I could see that. Yeah, it was at the time. I remember thinking it, it was just com- like you said, it, completely out of place. But I really liked it. <laughs> and we're gonna learn in the episode who orchestrated that song because the answer will surprise you, fair listener. So stay tuned for that one. But um, yeah, so impossible winner. Uh, I feel love every million miles from this one. Uh, is is a favorite. I love Mile Markers as well. That's a big one for me. Mm, Mile Markers is great. I think Blue Blood Blues is of my top Jack songs ever. And although it's kind of played out to me because I've heard it so much and he goes back to it so much, I think Cut Like a Buffalo is also one of my favorite Jack songs. Cut Like a Buffalo rules. It's really good. I mean, I just, I've heard it a lot by now. It's, I think, the only Dead Weather song he played on the Boarding House Reach tour. I think so. And it's one of two that he played prior to that on Blunderbuss and Lazaretto. So I just, it's so familiar to me at this point that it don't, it's, it's less like, uh, oh, it's that song. It just sort of feels like, oh, he's, of course he's going to play that song. It's almost like Jet from McCartney. Well, you know he's going to play Jet. I like Jet, but I know he's going to play it. So, Yeah. That's a bunch. I like a lot of those. Uh, 60 Feet Tall, that's a great one. The dynamics on that one are just 
really good. Another one from um, Dodge and Burn that I just really this week, I was like, man, that song is amazing, is Be Still. I really oh, love yeah. that song. I don't know what to do. Yeah, you get a Jack vocal on it. Yeah, and it's you a do. great one. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, I, I would take any song on Dodge and Burn over most of the other songs on Sea of Cowards and, and Whorehound. I think Dodge and Burn is powerful. I think Dodge and Burn just feels. When I listen to Whorehound and when I listen to Sea of Cowards, I pick out certain songs that I love, but then I can kind of discard some. Yeah. I feel like Dodge and Burn feels like a pretty good album from start to finish. There's not a ton of, all right, I'm kind of bored with this. Okay, let's move on. It's pretty, every time I, a new song come on, I'm like, oh yeah, this song's pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. This, this song's pretty good. And it's very cohesive to sure. me. It's kind of more polished yes. than the first two. It feels like a project rather than uh, yeah. a jam or yeah, something. Totally. I well, I think this is a good place to wrap this episode's discussion. We'll plug some stuff on the next episode as well, but where can people find your podcast? Where And uh, how's the record? I'm almost afraid to ask with COVID, but like... Oh, no, the... the record shop is doing great. Okay, good. Oh, thank God. I, was, oh, yeah. I thought I was going to open a wound or something. No. So tell us about that and tell us about where people okay. can find the podcast. Um, yeah, so I own a record store. I'm from Lakeland, Florida, and I own a record store there called Jesse Carl Vinyl. In March, before we shut down for a month, I was kind of concerned about what was going to happen. I had a lot of anxiety, couldn't sleep, gained a bunch of weight because I was stress eating. But as soon as we reopened in May, I have not been able to stop. It's just been insane, um, which is fantastic. I think people are just finding things to do at home and record collecting and listening to records is something fun that the whole family can do. And so it's been really good. So that's going well. We actually have an online store. So if you want to shop with us, you can go to jessicarlvinyl.com. We have a whole online store there that you can grab some stuff. My podcast is called The Porch Podcast. It's an all Pearl Jam podcast. Me and my friend Kate sit down every week with a Pearl Jam song and we talk about it and dissect it and just, you know, really get into it. You can find us on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. And yeah, that's pretty much awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. We encourage all our listeners to do that. The Porch Podcast is very good. Even if you're not a huge Pearl Jam fan, there's still stuff you can get out of it in terms of just like your excitement for the music. And uh, I mean, I've learned a lot from the show too. So that's great. Uh, It's a great show. And everybody go check out Jesse Carl vinyl uh, online shop there. Why not shop local? Don't just don't look, if you're going to buy an album, just don't do it off of Amazon. Just, just find somebody's store and buy it there. And I look, I'm guilty of it too. You know, sometimes I just really want something to arrive tomorrow, but you know what? It's not about me. Okay. It's not about me. Hey, right. listen, there's a big thing going on, and it's been going on since before COVID got started, that Amazon, a lot of the third-party sellers on Amazon have been getting in trouble for selling bootleg copies of things. So be mindful of what you buy on Amazon because <sighs> that's a problem. Yes. <sighs> all right. I'm retracting all my Bezos bucks. That's it. <laughs> I'm cashing them in. All right. We'll see you back next episode. Next episode, you're going to join us for the rating. It's going to be awesome. Thanks for joining awesome. us, Jesse. Bye, yes, thank you. All right. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us. And we'd like to thank Jesse from the Porch Podcast, a wonderful Pearl Jam history or song exploring podcast. Jesse's wonderful. We had a great time talking with her. Feels like ages ago, but it was mere moments. Seconds even. 
we're back from just a moment ago. Guys, we got a really early start on this season. <laughs> uh, we'd like to thank our <laughs> Patreon patrons, people who help and keep the lights on. We'd like to thank Ashley Forbes, Steady Ashley Goes, Derek Ferguson Forever for Ferguson, Shane Ben Jameson, the Shane boy you've always known. Tam Davis, our third person spirit every week. Melinda Endress, you look pretty in your fancy Endress. Luke Sinclair, look me over closely. Elizabeth Myers, rolling in on a burning Myers. Josh Aiken, or Joe Shaken all over. Brett Garski, the Brett Three killed my Garski. Melinda Taylor, or Melinda Taylor, send me an angel down. Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on Sunshine. Julia Hickling, the $3 hat make, which is uh, appropriate for this episode. That's a song on this album. Mm, yes. Brenda Inglehart, we want to be the boys to warm your Inglehart. Stu Cat, or Stu Driver, and Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. Thank you all for helping to support the show. It's very, very appreciated. Now, are you reading, I'm guessing, off of the actual Patreon site? No. Oh, okay, because we forgot Michael Brookfield. Oh, Michael Brookfield, Bone Brookfield. Well, see, I did that top and then I did bottom and then top and then I worked my way to the middle. So I, th- I guess I just forgot one. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. We got Michael Brookfield, Bone Brookfield. Thanks, everybody. And if you'd like to uh, find us and talk to us and do all sorts of whatever's with us. Yeah, do, do us, so- do whatever. Do whatever you, you want. want with us. We're looking at you, Lars. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can tweet at us at thirdmencast on Twitter. You can find us on Tumblr or tumble on down with us. That's thirdmenpodcast at .tumblr.com. That's thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can find us on our website, thirdmenpodcast.com. You can uh, yawn break with us. You can find our email somewhere out there in the interwebs, but if you do it, uh, go, then, and, go and find our email. Then se- send. We're not going to give it to you. You got to find it. Then send the secret code, weed heat hat red, and uh, we will uh, give you the secret to how we make podcasts. And you could do so by emailing us. That's thirdmanpodcast at gmail You can find us on Instagram. That's at thirdman underscore podcast, where Paul posts lots of fun pictures and images relating to the show. You can. Help us out to, to keep the lights on. If you don't want to be a Patreon patron and do it every month, you could do so uh, with a one-time purchase of some merch that I make. And you can you know carry around our logo on your cheese boards or your chest boards or your yeah. surfboards or whatever you want. Um, put it on your cheese chest board. Yeah, just put it on your chest. Uh, <laughs> why, wouldn't you, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do that? And you can buy some merch on our, on our merch site. That's bit.ly slash thirdmenmerch. Again, bit bit dot ly slash thirdman merch you can find our show on acast they host our site i love acast they are sexy and you can find us on youtube by uh, either searching for third man podcast or you can go to youtube.com slash c slash the third man podcast to the c is very important do that and rate review and subscribe by going to rate us dot thirdmanpodcast.com it helps get some peepers on our show that wouldn't normally see it and uh, we forgot about all about our character Peepers, but I just remembered Peepers. I heard exist. him. I listened to what was it? I listened to an old one for some reason. Oh, I would listen to the um, when we were gonna interview Dex. I went back and listened to that one, and I was like, oh yeah, we had like a Peepers character. There's a lot. In There's there. a lot of characters there. Uh, but if you'd like to talk about our character Peepers, you can do so in a rating as long as it's five stars, and um, maybe I'll send you some Peepers merch. Who knows? I have an idea. Okay. Well, first of all, if you want to write us a review, we would actually love to hear your honest feedback of the show. Yes, please. We don't say that enough. 
<laughs> Usually we say, say something stupid. And then that it would be funny to us. But actually, we'd like to hear what you think. And there's some people who do that. And so, you know, some very nice people wrote, wrote, wrote reviews of the show. For example, and I was searching here um, a moment ago, but we had a review come in from Danny Joseph. And Danny wrote, funny podcast, chock full of great information and fun about all things Jack White. James and Paul have a great love and respect for the world of Jack White, but they don't take themselves or the subject too seriously. One of my favorite music podcasts. And that's such a wonderful, wonderful review. And then you have a review like A-I-I or L-L-13692 who just says, when you're here, you're family. <laughs> and that's... Honestly, we'll take both. We like the we like it's like the Oreo. You need the cookie and the cream. So just do one of the others. If you don't want to write something sincere, write weed heat hat red. Yes. And we'll know what that means. You'll make and, us happy. And we'll and you'll make us happy. You can also send us a listener question if you like, and we'll do one of those eventually. And we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song. We're the third man as well as Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And we'd also like to thank Jack Fay for the guest editing on this episode of the third men podcast. That's right, James, for the first time in our history as a podcast, we have had a guest editor, Mr. Jack Fay, and we very much appreciate everything he did for the show. Thank you, Jack. You did an awesome job. Way to go, buddy. And James, until next episode, Dodge and Burn Part 2, I mm -hmm. will be looking for a home trying to get asked out by David Swanson in a dark room. Oh, hey. I'll be looking for a home on a black sand beach oh. uh, in a swimsuit edition version of the Dead Weathers uh, new album. All right. That's a sexy thought, James. Way to leave us on a sexy note. And hey, we'll it's all thanks to Marvel's swimsuit editions. I was wondering, were we going to bring that up? You solved it for me. You brought it up. Wolverine's eating hot dogs with his claws. That's what he does on the beach. If you'd ever wonder what Neymar looks like in a very tight-fitting thong. Neymar. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. up talking about our favorite pod racers and in the in i'm a day i didn't realize this there's a pod racer who has his he's the only pod racer that dies in the pod race and they make a joke out of his death yeah uh but they also right yeah but but he also has his family in the yes. audience and Amadeo found all these screen caps of the family and the little kid has like a fucking ice cream cone as he's watching his father be murdered on the by like Annie. <laughs> Poor Quadranero. He was such a he's such a lovable character that had two sides.
sound does a what sound does a monkey make? What sound does a monkey make? Ooh, ooh, ah, ah. Oh, I could hide <laughs> the wings. More, more pot. Okay. Here we go, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but didn't they do? Didn't they do they, something for? They did Kimmel on Sea of Cowards. Oh. Or no, not Sea. Yeah, I think Sea of Cowards. They did Kimmel for Sea of Cowards and Horham. I think actually. Yeah, I think they did Kimmel twice. Hey, did we do Horham? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Charles Augens, Paul. Are you familiar with the man? Probably not, but Charles Augens, no. he's an American actor, dancer, and choreographer of stage and screen, according to uh, the International Association of Blacks in Dance. Uh, Augens choreo- choreographed Ray Davies' first musical, Chorus Girls, uh, uh-huh. in East London. Okay, so there's your kinks connection to Charles Augens. Now, Charles Augens also choreographed stabbed Dave Davies choreographed the entire movie uh, choreographed for the movie Labyrinth as well as voicing for one of the puppets in 1989 he appeared as as himself in the Jeff Goldblum comedy film The Tall Guy I guess the Labyrinth thing had nothing to do with this but he appeared as himself in the Jeff Goldblum comedy The Tall Guy (laughs) Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park Paul Charles Augens is our connection there you, Davies. you crazy bastard, you did it. <laughs> you crazy bastard. Uh, so thank you, Charles Augens, for all of your great work, and also for uh, connecting Ray Davies and Jeff Goldblum. How fast can he go as he's Googling? Ah, we clocked we clocked him <laughs> in at... Let's see what this studio says. Uh, two minutes and 38 seconds. Everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not for profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100 plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show.
And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yeah.